0: Hey everyone, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you're listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Okay, welcome back, and uh, I apologize, there were some sound issues on the last podcast. I think I have those ironed out. It sounded like I was in the background in a tunnel I did the best I could to raise the volume after the fact, Um, but I did a a, a double test this time, so hopefully my voice is as clear as possible. So today I want to talk about the Thanksgiving principle, and the word principle is important because I'm not talking about a formula or a recipe or anything like that. So there's different principles. We use principles to do certain things, and I, I know we have um, step-by-step methods, some, sometimes that we apply to things. Um, but I don't like to look at those as, as formulas or think of them that way. They're more or less, uh, an order in which things are done. But the actual way in which we do those things, there's some variance in there. For example, I've heard a lot of people say in the past that, um, they were uncomfortable praying because they weren't sure if they were saying the right thing. So that's a mindset that tells you that, if you say the wrong- wrong thing or had the words in the wrong order, then you're not going to get the result that you had hoped for and we talk a lot about praying for results, but when we really think about what the Bible shows us, it shows us that we have a relationship through Jesus Christ with God, and Jesus came to reveal God in a different way than he was seen in the Old Testament, but yet a lot of people have an old covenant mentality still. And Jesus went on to say things like, you can't combine the old and the new. And he used wineskins as an example of that, that the new wine would break the old wineskin. So the difference, one of the major, major differences between the New Testament and New Covenant based upon better promises is that you could be a friend of God under the Old Covenant, but you couldn't know God as Father until Jesus came. So Jesus came to reveal God as Father. And why do you think he used those intimate terms and made intimate statements about himself, the Father, and statements to the fact that he and the Father would come personally and be with those who believed? Let me give you an example. Okay, let's see here. Here's a perfect example. John chapter uh, 14, verse 23. It says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, meaning both of them, will come to him and make our home with him. So you, you can see there that there isn't anything close or even alluding to that in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. Because the shedding of blood, bulls and goats, and the things back in the Old Testament could never make the individual righteous in the sight of God. They, there was a remembrance of sin that was made every year. But it says Jesus is taking out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. All of the laws, all of the rules, all of the regulations, it says he's nailed those to his cross. So he's removed us from those. Uh, from that old covenant position, as far as the east is from the west. There's a difference between a servant and a son. See, the difference is, is under the new covenant, we're sons of God. We choose to act as servants in this lifetime so that we can do everything. It's just like the the son or the daughter that works in the father's business or in the family business. And here, this is the mission that we're on in this lifetime, is to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news, to be a light, to be that city on the hill. So wherever we are, we are a light. So there's no unimportant place to be if you're in connection with anybody because everybody is equally important. You know, sometimes we look at what's happening in the world and you can feel unimportant because you see this big world picture that plays out. But take a look closely at how Jesus dealt with people In, during, throughout the Gospels, and even how the disciples interconnected and and related to one another in the um, epistles and in the book of Acts. Because you see, to God, it's the individual that matters. That's what's of great importance to Him. And individuals guided Jesus's ministry. I mean, just think of all of the stories how somebody approached Jesus and suddenly he stopped what he was doing and he performed a miracle for them. While on the outside, all the other people, they were just spectators. So anybody in the crowd around Jesus had the opportunity to make the transition from spectator to individual connection. And that's what God's desire is. He desires to have a relationship with individuals, sons, daughters. It doesn't matter under the new covenant. It says there's neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, but all are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, we're so bonded to him that when Jesus appeared in a vision to Saul before he became the apostle Paul in the book of Acts, he proclaimed out loud, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Jesus was in the heavenly world at that time. He didn't have a one-on-one confrontation with Saul, but the disciples did. And Jesus calls the church his body. See, the, The church, the definition of church in the New Testament is the called out ones. And it says that we are the body of Christ. He is the head, and all things are put beneath his feet. That means the lowest part of the body, everything satanic, demonic, all those powers are beneath his feet. So I don't want to get too far off the topic of the praise principle, but I want to say these things because all of these things give you reason to be thankful and to praise God and to thank God that we are forgiven, that we're in Christ, and that all of these things under the new we have a new and better Covenant established upon better promises. So anything that they received under the old covenant, you can receive, and then some under the new one. So I'm talking about, again, a principle, and in this context, the principle of praise. And the difference between a principle and a formula, just think of how we look at it in the natural world. There is a uh, principle when it comes to planting a garden there's a recipe or a formula when it comes to cooking a recipe. So if you're going to cook something and follow a recipe to get the result, then you have to measure everything exactly like it's stated in the recipe in order to get that particular end result. But planting a garden, which is more like prayer, which is more like faith, is based on principles, not recipes and formulas. So. You know, we look at things like the name of Jesus, and we look at it sometimes as a, as a formula. But if you look in the book of Acts, you could see that sometimes they commanded it in faith, and they didn't say literally in Jesus' name, and a miracle happened anyway. Because their faith was in the fact that Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, all those things you can see at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, all of these things in those particular gospels, Jesus said to go out and proclaim the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven has come near you. That's what he said. So, and you can see why, because at the time, the presence of God before Jesus came was in a temple, but now you're the temple. So wherever you go, God goes because God's on the inside of you. You are a portal, so to speak, through which God flows from the heavenly world into the natural world. We don't see ourselves like that. Sometimes we just see ourselves like we see ourselves. You know, you look in the mirror, you say, you know, my name is Joe Smith, or my name is Mary Smith, or whatever. This is where I work. These are the people I know. But we don't see ourselves as being in Christ unless we're actually reading the Bible. And that's why the Bible says to meditate on it, to go rehearse these things over and over mentally, verbally, in your heart so that they become real to you. And that's how faith grows. So you can see that when it comes to planting a seed, you know, you don't measure the water out the way you might measure a certain spice or herb that you're adding to a uh, something that you're cooking, right? I mean, you prepare the soil. Sometimes the soil's better than others. You put the seed in there, you cover it, and you water it. I mean, you don't measure it, you just do it. And then you go back in and you live your life and you come out the next day and maybe make sure that no animals had got in, in there during the night or tried to dig anything up. You know how the process works. Even if you've never done it before, you've read about it, you've seen it in, in, in books or videos or television or, or whatever, you know the basic principles of planting something and growing something. Okay. So the main thing is you have to stay with it until it reaches maturity. So now if you grew, if you planted something today and tomorrow it was – a tree was suddenly there, well, that would be like a miracle, right? I mean you would just say, well, you know, God must have gone and put that entire seed time, growing time all the way over to the side and done a miracle. In other words, that's not how it works most of the time. Most of the time it takes time between the time you plant something, the time you water it, the time you protect it. There's a time, a season – from which that roots start to grow from the seed and so forth. But the other way is like a creative miracle. I mean, if you put a, a, a seed in the ground and tomorrow you had a whole full-blown tree, uh, I mean, how do you duplicate that? You can't. That's not in your power. When you plant the seed in the ground, is that in your power? Well, The planting of it is, the covering of the soil over it is, the watering of it is. But after that, it's all out of your power. You have to believe that all of those processes that God created will work on their own, that you don't have to make them work. All you have to do is watering the seed. So when Jesus taught prayer, faith, authority, the miraculous in the Bible, he used examples such as the seed time and harvest. He used examples such as The word of God being the seed. He used examples as speaking it with your mouth is kind of like watering it or protecting it. So, when I'm talking about thanksgiving and the principle, there's no wrong way to give thanks. There's no special words you have to say that if you get the words wrong, it won't work right. Because God and Jesus are connected to us like a father is connected to his children. And if a young child, I mean, I like to use a young child as an example um, because I can't see that God sees us in any other light as being young children. When you compare what we know to all there is out there and what can be known, what we know now must put us in the light of being like like children. So, and Jesus said, such are as the kingdom of heaven. They're like children. And he, told, he, he encouraged people they become as children in their hearts. Okay. So when we look at this in that light, you can see that it doesn't matter if a child would come up to you and say, you know, thank you for lunch. Or if they said, thank you so much for lunch. And they gave you a hug or said, thank you so much for lunch. And I can't wait to do it again. And next time, do do you think you can make such and such? I mean, there is no wrong way to have a relationship with a parent, with a father. And in this case, we're looking at God as being the father. God already loves us. So when we make an effort, there is no such thing as that being wrong. Does that make any sense? Are you following that? So I've said all of these things so that you can realize whether or not you have a legalistic mindset. Because the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So if you're bound to the letter, you can tell because when you pray, you'll be nervous. Maybe you're not doing it right, or maybe you're not really believing, or maybe you're not really sincere, or maybe, or maybe, or maybe. There'll be more questions. But when a child connects with a parent and and communicates with a parent, are they thinking any of those things? Absolutely not. They're just being who they are. They're being sincere. and See, that's the difference between children and adults. Children are sincere, naturally, until they learn how to not be, until they learn how to fake it. And so when it comes to praise and thanksgiving, I have to be honest with you, there are times where when I first start thanking God for something, thanking God for, if I start counting my blessings and I start thanking God for something in general, uh, maybe my health or maybe my home or, or whatever, or my family, Maybe if I say it once or twice, it's more from the head than it is from the heart. But if I sit there and I give thanksgiving and, and I repeat that those words several times over, whether I'm saying them identically the same or using a different vocabulary or whatever, I'm able to blast through my head and get down to my heart. So I'm not doing this for God's sake so that God will hear me. I'm doing it for my sake so that I'm not just robotically repeating something that I did the day before, right? So when we exercise our physical bodies, we can be robotic about it. We can go out and we can walk one, two, three, four, five miles, whatever we do. We could do sit-ups, push-ups, handstands, whatever. And while we're doing those exercises with our physical bodies, our minds can be so far removed, we could be thinking about what we're going to be doing next week. We could be thinking about the plans of an upcoming event. We could be thinking of all kinds of things, right? So when it comes to praising God and giving thanks and communicating in general, and I'm talking about praise in particular for a reason. I'll get to that very shortly. But when it just comes to praising God, we don't want to be robotic about it. I don't want to be thanking God and then wondering what time it is because I got to leave in 10 minutes. It's not that I need 20 minutes to thank God. I'm not saying that. It's not the time issue. It's, I want to get my head and my heart aligned. That's what I'm talking about. I want my complete person to be in the conversation. I've caught myself doing this before with my parents and with other relatives. They're talking, but I'm not really listening to what they're saying. My mind goes off. My mind you know, I'm an artistic type of person and my mind thinks creatively. And well, sometimes it thinks creatively, sometimes it thinks mechanically, but I find myself sometimes not present in a conversation. And then when the conversation is over and the person is asking a question relative to what they were just saying, wanting my feedback, basically what I have to do is ask them to repeat themselves. And I found a way to do it in such a way where I don't really come out and say, because I'm embarrassed, I'm sorry, I wasn't really paying attention to what you're saying. But that's the way I feel on the inside, because I'm not listening. And I don't know why I do it. But I know it takes an effort for me sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes to really listen to what a person's saying, take that information to heart, and then give them a reply based on that that's the best that I have to offer. Are you following what I'm saying? And so it can be no different with God. If I'm going to talk to God, I want to be talking to God. I want to be conscious in my heart that he's listening to me. I want to be conscious in my heart that he loves me and that I matter. And because all those things make something jump within me. Like if I'm thinking right now that God loves me, that I'm special, just like you are, and that I matter as much as any person who ever walked or will walk the earth matters that we're all the same. He doesn't love one person more than somebody else. He loves us equally because we love Jesus and we're in Christ. He loves us all. He made everything he made for his children. <clears throat> Natural parents may love one children more than another because they're human, but the Bible says God is not a man and he's no respecter of persons. What he does respect is faith, hope, and love. Those three things. That's why Paul said these three things abide faith, hope, and love. So, I know I keep straying from the topic of thanksgiving, but all these pieces fit together. Everything in the Bible fits together. So, getting back to (laughs) thanksgiving, it says, let me read to you a scripture. It says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 11, being enriched in everything, to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. So in the context there, which he's speaking, being enriched in everything, he didn't say that we're enriched in most things or some things. Everything means spirit, soul, and body. Bountifulness in that verse means exactly what you would think it would mean. It means a full overflowing supply. And those two things, being enriched and, and having bountifulness in all things, it causes thanksgiving To go through us to God. Now, relative to prayer, it says, Be careful for nothing in Philippians 4 6, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Why would the with thanksgiving be in there? Because the Bible says that whatever you desire when you're praying, believe you've received it. It doesn't say believe you're going to receive it, it says believe you receive it when you're praying. And so that gives you a reason to be thankful. So we're thanking or you're giving thanksgiving by faith because you can't see it yet, right? We walk by faith and not by sight. So we're not only thankful for the things that we see and the things that we experience in everyday life. What did Jesus say? He said that if you have clothing to wear today, if you have food to eat today, if you have shelter for today, then be thankful for those things. Don't borrow problems from tomorrow. Don't think, what if I don't have enough tomorrow? Be thankful for what you have today. That's what he told you to focus on. The Bible also says that those that seek to be rich will pierce themselves through with many sorrows and that having adequate food and clothing, let us be content. Do you see that being preached today? Maybe not so much. I mean, I look around, when you look around you, and you look online, everything is focused on money. And we understand why, because everything is costing more and more all the time. Housing costs more than it used to. Insurance has cost more than they used to. Driving a vehicle that that doesn't break down every other block costs more than it used to. Everything. across the world. God, God knows we have need of these things. But Jesus said these were all the things that the Gentiles, those people who didn't have God, would spend their time seeking after. They sought after, how are we going to make more money? How are we going to buy more clothes? How are we going to get more food? How are we going to improve our living? But Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. So if you don't have to spend your time and energy investing into how you're going to get more money or how, I don't say that you don't think about it ever or that you don't make some plans, but there's a difference between making a plan and investing your heart and soul and everything into doing these things or that your thought life is continually revolving around work or continually revolving around money or continually revolving around paying bills. Your thought life can only revolve around one thing continually, and that have that result in, in something good. And that's the truth, right? Because the way that's the way you know the truth, and the truth sets you free, is by continually looking at it, continually reinforcing it within your own heart. So um, Colossians chapter 2, it says, verse number 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, See, there's established and there's not established. Maybe you're not established yet. But the reason why I'm sharing these things to you is trying to help you get established. Established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. So abounding means more than just a little bit. Abounding in thanksgiving. So what are the things you you can be thankful for? There are the things that you can see and touch, the things that you have, Maybe it's just the adequate clothing or food for today, but still that's enough to abound in thanksgiving. And there's the things that you can't see, the things that you believe you receive, according to Mark 11.23 and Mark 11.24, according to Luke 17.6, according to Luke 18, 1. Are you following me? Abounding there in thanksgiving for the things that you can't see yet, but you believe you have them. You believe you have them because God told you to. Jesus told you how to pray. This is what God's will is for you. God's will is for you to believe you have it before you can see it. You can't read Mark eleven twenty four 24 or Matthew 21 21 or any of those other verses that I mentioned and come away thinking that God's telling you to do anything different from that. Colossians 4.2 says, continue in prayer and watch in the same, with thanksgiving. See, so I've emphasized in the past the prayer part, the saying part. I haven't emphasized thanksgiving like I should have, and so that's why I'm talking about that today. Continue in prayer, watch therein, in the same, with thanksgiving. Well, if you walk by faith and not by sight, then you're going to be giving thanksgiving often for things which are not yet seen, for things which do not yet to appear to have happened. And that takes a concentrated effort. It's an effort that you're making because that's what pleases God. Now there's other verses that say that praise and, and worship and these things, thanksgiving, it stills the enemy and the avenger. That Satan, demons, and evil forces hate when a believer gives thanks to God. So let's go on a little bit uh, further. 1 Timothy 4.4 4 says, Every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. So you can go throughout the Bible. I'm not going to go any further with these Thanksgiving verses, but you can see that prayer, faith, and Thanksgiving, they all work together. And Thanksgiving can be broken up into two categories. It can be broken up into the things that we can see and already have that we're thankful for, and to the invisible world, to the things that we've prayed and we believe that God has given them to us. Right? We're thankful for that too. And I've learned now, there's a lot of scriptures in the Psalms, the book of Psalms about thanksgiving. You can read the book of Psalms. It's like a whole book of thanksgiving. Um, uh, back to what I was saying before, I didn't want to get off topic, which is very easy to do. Um, when I give thanksgiving in the past, sometimes I've said, thank you, Lord, for whatever and thank you. And I've said it a few times and I sat there quiet. And I've had one type of experience thanking God like that. But then I've had another type of experience when I've lifted my hands and I've thanked God for 30 seconds, 60 seconds. I know that sounds like such a little period of time (laughs) when you talk about it verbally. But if you actually sit there and thank God for 30 to 60 seconds, just test it out and see what happens and see how there's a switch it happens on the inside of you. Thank God for something. Think about something or someone that you have in your life right now that's a blessing to you, or something that if it were gone, would make life a lot difficult, but you're grateful that you have it, whatever it is, and purpose in your heart. If you have to set an egg timer just to, to see how long it is and to get your eyes off the clock, set it for 30 seconds to 60 seconds, and do nothing but give thanks. I'm not going to tell you what words to use or not to use, but do it and see the transitions that happen on the inside of you from when you first start to where you are when you finish. And think about, if you do that, what the Bible tells you to do to be, have this thanksgiving a part of your life, how that could make a difference. Okay, That's all I have for today. Matter of fact, I'm going to get some lunch right now, and I'm thankful that there's food in the refrigerator. So this is Jim. Um, Again, if you haven't signed up and would like to receive updates every time a new podcast has been published and uploaded, visit the main website at www.faithtestedbyfire.com. Sign up for the update list there. That web address again is www.faithtestedbyfire.com dot com. This is Jim. Thank you for listening. God bless you. And I'll talk to you soon.